What's up? It's Brent for Burgundy Blogcast. It is Sunday, December 15th. Uh, the NFL is wrapping up week 15 of the 2019 season. And of course, the Redskins lost today at home again to the division rival Eagles by a final score of 37 to 27, thanks to a kind of ridiculous defensive touchdown by the Eagles on the last play of the game. So for all intents and purposes, this was a four-point loss today that dropped the Redskins to 3-11. and I decided to record tonight, even as the season approaches total meaninglessness, because I'm actually pretty damn satisfied with today's result. I think this loss was a win in all of the important ways. So allow me to explain. Ever since even before the Redskins fired Jay Gruden, when it was plain to everyone that this season really wasn't going anywhere. I've been rooting for the Redskins to lose and to lose big. Early on, I, uh, you know, I, I kind of tried to be a little subtle about it on Twitter and, and on the podcast. But really, I mean, pretty much since probably 0-3, I've, I've, since then I've known in my bones that the season was going nowhere, there was no playoff game to be had, and that the only truly important parts of this whole campaign were going to be the things done to position the team to be better next year. So from the time I developed that conviction, it was plain to me that the most important thing for the Redskins to have or to generate a legitimate chance to turn it around was going to be to get Bruce Allen out of there so that hopefully, possibly, maybe the culture could be reborn. And I knew that that was going to take a truly catastrophic season of failures in high quantity and severity. But of course, because my greater or ultimate goal of the Redskins eventually, and ideally in the next few years, becoming good again depends on the current team's young players actually becoming good, I've had this secondary conflicting desire for Haskins and the other rookies and second and third year guys on cheap contracts to play well, at least in spurts and flashes, indicating some signs of life on the roster. And yeah, clearly those two goals are at odds. All along, I've gotten a lot of feedback on Twitter, especially since making my primary desire more public and explicit, that it's illogical or even impossible to actually root for both of those things at the same time. That I can't have my cake and eat it too. That I can't have it both ways. But guess what? Today, I got my cake and I ate it too. This is exactly the sort of game that I've been wanting to see out of the Redskins since October. A humiliating division loss at home in front of 75% away fans, in which a generous handful of young Redskins, including the first-round rookie quarterback, actually gave us reason for hope, reason for confidence, reason, perhaps, for a prospective new head coach or GM not to be thoroughly repulsed and driven away. The Redskins primarily lost this game due to the failure of Greg Minuski's defense to stop running backs, tight ends, or really much of anything on third downs. Those are long-standing problems that I don't particularly care much about anymore because we will soon be living in a post-Greg Minuski world either way. The icing on the cake, of course, is that the Eagles' final go-ahead touchdown was scored directly against yet another person who will not be a Redskin next year in Josh Norman. In between those many lapses by the defense, I'd say we clearly saw more exciting and encouraging plays by young players today than in any game before this in 2019. So I got my reasons for confidence in the 2020 roster and beyond and I also got another L to hang on Bruce Allen, and secondarily to eventually boost the Redskins in the draft order. There's little question to me that this is the ideal result. I hope both of the two remaining games for the Redskins go exactly the same way, and I feel pretty validated in the feasibility and validity of my rooting interest to this point in the season. Coming into today, I had been pretty disappointed overall with the body of work from Dwayne Haskins uh, to this point in his rookie season. 
I've been very careful never to call him on Twitter or on my podcast a bust or to even tread anywhere I consider to be close to that kind of label since it's preposterously premature to have drawn that conclusion after less than half a dozen NFL starts. However, of course, if you've been following or listening, you've certainly noticed me being critical of his play much more often than complimentary. And I hate to burst your bubble if you're the kind of person that likes to complain about agendas, but that is for one and only one reason. It's because he hasn't been very good. Not only have his numbers been terrible in terms of completion percentage, yards, touchdowns, touchdown to turnover ratio, time till throw, and sacks taken, but he also just hasn't looked good. He's had very inconsistent mechanics, he's had very inconsistent footwork, he's been wildly inaccurate at times, and he's been indecisive, which has at least contributed to all of those sacks. The idea that I've been rooting for Haskins to fail to this point, or that I would going forward, which strangely is espoused by many people, at least on Twitter, is so incredibly dumb. Why would I actually want Haskins to suck? I don't want him to be a bust that's idiotic. I want for the Redskins to be good again as soon as possible. As previously explained, I'm happy for him to lose games, especially here as a rookie, but I don't want Haskins to be bad. I want him to pan out. But he just hasn't had a good start to his career. He hasn't looked good. The offense is literally the lowest scoring in the NFL this season, or at least it was before they put up 27 today. They're also last in yards per game and third down conversion rate. It's been a terrible offense, and no, it's obviously not all of Dwayne's fault, but his legitimately good plays have been far, far outweighed by bad ones. It's true that since his first start, he's been, I think, gradually, very, very gradually and incrementally improving in certain ways, slowly having, in general, a less unfavorable ratio of good plays to bad. And if you follow the really deep dive stuff with analysts like, say, Chris Cooley or Mark Bullock with The Athletic, who's excellent, by the way, some of the beat reporters like John Kime was a little more into the nitty gritty than others. You would have, of course, in every game seen some glimpses of hope or glimpses of competence yielding glimmers of hope. I've never tried to portray him as a total hopeless failure. But outside of like on average one or two nice throws per game, maybe three or four nice throws per game if I'm feeling generous, many of these quote unquote good plays that the really deep detail guys have been fawning over for Haskins have involved sequences like Here's a play where he made a good check at the line, slid the protection correctly, threw in rhythm at the top of his drop, but then whoops, look, he sailed that pass 10 yards over the guy's head. But this is a good play. It shows evidence of progress from Dwayne because, you know, the first few parts of the play were good, even though it resulted in an interception. And I'm sorry, but when like three quarters of your best plays are near misses, you're not a good player. And that's what Haskins has been serving up until today. So I've been hard on him. I've, con- I've compared him unfavorably to other rookie quarterbacks because he had been worse than them, and I've said, because I believed it, that he was underachieving. Well, today, for the first time, starting immediately in the game, and in particular in his first three drives, or possessions, Dwayne Haskins absolutely looked apart. He looked poised, he was making faster decisions, he seemed to be making good reads, because he was getting getting rid of the ball much faster, and generally not throwing into double coverage, or even into tight coverage. He was careful with the ball, pretty sure he only threw, uh, actually, exactly one pass that kind of deserved to be intercepted, and it wasn't. He was much, much more accurate than previously, not only completing balls at a much higher rate, but many times, especially on the long touchdown to McLaurin, not only hitting receivers in the hands, but hitting them in stride and setting them up for yards after the catch. His second touchdown, which went to Sims in the back of the end zone, was also a beautiful throw into a tight window. For Haskins, this was a drastic improvement from all previous games. I think some of it probably had to do with a big change in the play calling, which I'm also going to get into. But he deserves a ton of credit for playing so much smoother, so much faster, being much more accurate, mostly getting the ball out fast, 
making some pretty quality plays with his legs too, including two option plays, one where he deftly waited for the defender to penetrate too far and then pitched it to Peterson, and then another one later, of course, where he kept it uh, for himself and had a gain of over 20 yards. I mean, really, if you take out a couple iffy throws there right at the end of the first half, it's very hard for me after the first watch of this game to criticize him for much of anything. He had a really good game. In the first quarter, he was outright on fire. This was his first and only game so far where he looked like a blue-chip quarterback prospect. And finally, that actually happened, so I am actually saying it. I felt that it was very important that we get one or maybe two of these games out of Haskins before the season ended, so that we could say, we've seen him do it, we know we, we know he can do it. Even if we know and anticipate that, that even into his second and third year, there will be some growing pains. He had not, to me at least, proven in any way that his ceiling was realistic. And I think that's the big thing for me. Today, he, he proved to me that his ceiling is realistic. And it's a high ceiling. So, so you can build a good case now that he's somebody that's worth building around and worth continuing the experiment on. He completed 68% of his passes for 9.3 yards per attempt. He threw two touchdowns to no interceptions, and he didn't get sacked. And he passed the eye test. He threw some beautiful darts into tight windows. He was an effective ball carrier. He extended some plays, he was mostly throwing to open guys, and he, more so than any other individual, more so than Peterson, more so even than McLaurin, literally led the offense to a point total, 27, should be good enough to win most NFL games. And I'm sorry if you'll sleep better with me being a hater, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching him do it. I don't want this guy to fail. I want him to pan out. Today made me feel like he actually might. I gotta dampen the love fest a tiny bit by pointing out that the Eagles' pass defense is really bad. They've been bad all year. They're notorious for that. They recently got lit up by Fitzpatrick and the Dolphins. They just don't have a good secondary or a good pass defense. So I think, yeah, we probably shouldn't get too far over the moon for, you know, over Haskins throwing for 260 against this particular defense. But again, I don't say that to take anything away from him. He did exactly his job and, and more than his job today. And so there it is. I call him like I see him. He's been bad, but today he was good. Let's talk about some of the other young guys that look good in this game. McLaurin is freaking unbelievable. His consistency, especially really unbelievable. I don't know if he's if he's gone two games in a row at any point this season without making a huge impact. I continue to be struck by the fact that he just has everything you would want in a receiver. Size, speed, hands, routes, toughness, smarts, humility, and a team-first attitude. That's actually rare. This guy is a true diamond in the rough. I want to pay him all of the monies as soon as possible. Lifetime contract, please. By the way, my preferred nickname for him is Terry McScorin. How about Steven Sims? Now, I'll lead with the fact that, that yes, he had a few key drops. He had that one play where he, it looked like he probably could have pretty easily had a first down if he had just like taken a few steps straight forward instead of juking to the right. And that was at a, a key uh, juncture in the game. But man, he made a sweet play on that touchdown. He gets open a lot because of his legit speed. He's an actual threat on kick and punt returns in a way that the Redskins have not had in recent memory. You can see what the coaches have kind of implied regarding questions about consistency or reliability with his hands or ball security, but I can live with that in a rookie. He is explosive and dynamic. Absolutely has an opportunity to be a plus player. He's another terrific find as an undrafted free agent. Uh, rookie guard Wes Martin filled in for the injured Brandon Sheriff kind of the last minute today. And I'm not going to act like I watched every single block with great scrutiny on the live broadcast, but he certainly didn't get exposed. He was easy to forget about today on TV, and that is exactly what you want in a guard. So that's pretty important considering that Flowers is a free agent and Sheriff is looking more and more like a candidate for the franchise tag. On the other side of the ball, uh, I thought Moreland was looking good before he got hurt and had to go out. Apparently, he's in a walking boot, so that's disappointing. So I wonder if you're going to see any more of him as a rookie. But he made a really nice 
Um, pass breakup in the end zone, showing excellent recovery speed. And he makes a fair number of tough physical plays around the line of scrimmage, too. Then finally, I know you've been waiting for me to mention a young guy, not a rookie, but someone we've actually been waiting for a relatively long time to blossom. And many people had written off. And I'm not embarrassed to say that I'm probably in that category, where I had generally given up hope that he was going to become an impact player, or at least to live up to his draft status. And that, of course, is Ryan Anderson, who almost took over today's game. He forced two fumbles, and suddenly this guy, in fact, for the last several weeks, is able to reach the quarterback. He's had a couple of really big and kind of unfortunate and actually very questionable penalties called on him in recent weeks, too. But suddenly, this guy, in addition to just uh, setting a solid edge in the run game, he's getting into the backfield. We've always known him, by reputation at least, as very physical, as having like this alpha, badass personality. And he has, by most measures and accounts, been very good against the run. But he has not been disruptive in the pass game for fully two and a half seasons as a pro. But maybe he actually is, for some reason, just sort of a late bloomer in the NFL. I'm kind of feeling like if he has even one more big game in these last two, he probably will have converted me back into a believer. Adrian Peterson is obviously still a good running back. In fact, he might still be like, mm, I don't know, top 10 to 15 running back. I feel like that's right. He might be he might be the legit rightful starter for half t- half the teams in the league. And he was good again today. He had a couple big gainers, including that touchdown run, which he basically had to do entirely by himself in a way that was totally counter to how it was drawn up. I am impressed with his abilities. I think the reason you haven't heard more from me about him on this pod or on Twitter is that I'm still just kind of like, I don't know, stuck on him somehow as being almost a symbol or at least a reminder of the Redskins' ineptitude in these two seasons he's been on the team. I'm sure that sounds contradictory that he's somehow like basically their best player or one of their two or three best, and yet he mainly causes me to think about how bad the team is. I think it's partly the fact that he is old, and he will definitely be gone before the team is actually good again, if that ever even happens. It's also the fact that they, you know, the the story, the legend of, of him becoming a Redskin after a workout that Doug Williams had to basically sneak him into. Somehow it really makes me feel that they didn't earn him or deserve him so much as they just sort of lucked into him. And then I think maybe most importantly, and perhaps this overlaps at least a little with why Jay Gruden didn't value him as much as Bill Callahan does, but it's the fact that for Adrian Peterson to really have his biggest impact, and he has certainly had some monster games, but when he's at his best, your offense has to be playing a sort of style that has not led any team to consistent winning in decades. The Adrian Peterson games are mostly the low-scoring ones where the Redskins try to eke out a one-score win over a better team by bleeding clock starting in the first quarter. I feel like Peterson is still a good player, but he's more a tool for keeping games close than for burying your opponent. Does that make sense? Clearly, Callahan wants to feature him, and on one hand, I don't blame him based on what's available, but on the other hand, featuring him just feels continually like kind of a dead end to me. I don't know. I I think he definitely does deserve a lot more credit than I've generally given him, but he really doesn't capture my interest like he does some, since he just, to me, represents, in several ways, a time or a phase, a style of Redskins history and play that just doesn't really translate into the future that I'm so desperately, anxiously awaiting, because it needs to be so different. So that's my take on AP right now, but I mean, the man is still a beast. This ties in uh, to that, and also I already alluded to it, but it was immediately obvious from the very first possession and throughout the remainder of the game, there was a major shift in philosophy of play calling in this game as compared to all previous ones since Callahan took over. I suspect that we're going to hear over the course of this week that they took the handcuffs off Kevin O'Connell and basically let him have a bigger influence on the game plan and maybe have fewer restrictions in play calling. He used a lot more right off the bat of the so-called quick game with three-step drops and quick out passes. He used a hell of a lot more throwing on first down. In fact, at least at least up in, uh, through halftime, they were, they were almost 50-50 balanced 
run pass on first down, which is unheard of for a Bill Callahan team. They had more play action. They're moving his pocket more, and they're actually giving him more opportunities to carry the ball. I thought the better balance on first down in particular was a humongous part of Haskins having a better day. I mean, he still didn't crack 30 passes, which is fine. But to me, this was a much, much more contemporary offense. And the results are easy to see. I mean, they put up 27 points against a defense that has clear flaws, but isn't, you know, a total pushover. I've been a little bit critical of of Kevin O'Connell, too, or at least expressed some disappointment in the results with him as offensive coordinator this year. Because, I mean, you know, how how could you not? I mean, well, why wouldn't you? They've been terrible, as previously mentioned, in scoring, yards, and third down conversion attempts. Like, worse than the league terrible. But I've also suspected and said that I've thought that Bill Callahan was probably mostly telling O'Connell what he had to do. And Callahan calls an offense like Newt Rockney. So I think it's been pretty hard to know like what exactly O'Connell's been doing and, and hard for us to evaluate the job that he's been doing. If we do get some indication this week or going forward that, yeah, there was a change because O'Connell is now being allowed really to put his stamp on it. And if O'Connell plus Haskins continues to be so clearly better than O'Connell slash Callahan plus Haskins, then I think that that's just, that that would obviously be so, so much better for fans since O'Connell and Haskins are so, so much more likely to still be here next year than Callahan. Now, even then, I'm I'm certainly not saying I'm confident or or certain that O'Connell will be back. If you get a significant regime change, on any any level, I always have to wonder if he's still going to be a fit. But if over these last two games, the play calling looks more like it did today than it did previously, and if Haskins continues to thrive in that framework, then certainly that would be informative and encouraging about the both of them. I am certainly no less disappointed and bemused than you are that there has been no recent news this past week of Dan Snyder actually deciding to hashtag fire Bruce Allen. I definitely did, as I even hinted on this podcast last week, start to believe that something uh, might actually happen uh, in the middle of this past week. And clearly it did not, and I was wrong about that. And regrettably, I do not have any new special insight to share with you right now regarding the likelihood or timing of that happening. I definitely have continued to feel, at least up until now, that the outcomes of these individual games has mattered a lot on the Fire Bruce Allen front. I have thought that a relative, relatively hot finish to the to this season could potentially save Bruce and even Bill, who's clearly a Bruce guy. I was quite concerned about that when they won two in a row over the Lions and Panthers, and I'm a little bit less afraid of that now with these two most recent losses. Even with some young players showing out today, things do look pretty darn bad again at 3-11 and and coming off of another ugly Philly takeover of FedEx Field. At this point, I think I no longer feel that these last two games will be critical factors in determining his fate, but it is still Dan Snyder we're talking about here, so you just never know. It did kind of occur to me these last couple days that if Dan was going to fire Bruce during the season, it feels like post-Packers, post-mathematical elimination probably would have been the natural time to do it. So yeah, with that window having come and gone, I guess I am a little bit less optimistic that it will happen in December. And furthermore, if it's less likely to happen in December, then it, again, meaning a firing of Bruce Allen, may be a little bit less likely to happen at all than, than I had started to believe. That's not to say that there won't still be some big sweeping change. I definitely still sense a momentum to major front office change. But being that Bruce has made it this far, I guess I'm thinking, and totally speculating here, but I guess I'm thinking that it grows a little more likely by the day that the eventual resolution here is something more like a reassignment for Bruce or some kind of a dressed up 
retirement slash stepping down thing. And if either one of those things ultimately turns out to be what happens, and if that's not going to happen until January, by which time many coaching searches across the league will have long since been underway, then I think that points a little bit more towards the new situation being either a promotion of somebody or somebody's that is already in the organization, like a Kyle Smith or Eric Schaefer, into that primary football decision-making slash GM kind of role, or Snyder already knowing that his new coach is basically going to be a GM too. That could possibly happen if they go with like the super experienced sort of executive coaching hire like a Marvin Lewis, or could possibly happen if he goes with a more creative hire like out of the college ranks. And that, of course, lends further curiosity to Urban Meyer being at the game today, sitting with Dan and with Dan's new BFF Alex in the owner's box. Now, Terry McLaurin apparently said after the game to reporters that Urban literally came to this game as Terry's guest, Terry's invited guest. And McLaurin does not strike me as one to lie about that. However, Dwayne Haskins, former Ohio State teammate of Terry McLaurin and former student athlete of Urban Meyer, for his part, apparently said he didn't even know Urban Meyer was at the game. I'm not going to act like I know what to make of this. I lean towards believing that Urban Meyer actually did just kind of want to take in a Redskins game because of Terry and because of Dwayne and because of Alex, who was Meyer's former player at Utah. On top of that, there's apparently a weird thing where Urban Meyer and Dan Snyder are like friends and they go to things together once a year or so. I'll acknowledge that it's very interesting, but I didn't really interpret this whole thing from today as a big sign that Meyer is going to be the Redskins' next coach. It's almost like too obvious, even for the Redskins, don't you think? Have you ever heard of such a thing? The team's Next coach, watching the team's current interim head coach, coach a game at home from inside the owner's box with the owner? If Dan really had designs on hiring Urban Meyer, you'd think he would flaunt this association so publicly? I think he would much more likely plan to do it in secret. So I'm probably not going to spend too much more time dwelling on that. However, I think we should all be taking notice that Alex Smith continues to spend a ton of time and public time with Dan Snyder. I don't know what Dan has in mind for Alex, but right now the Redskins are so far away from what I've previously outlined as the nuclear plan where they cut him and sever ties to eat the dead money on on his contract like up front and get it out of the way. No way. Alex is entrenched. I do not know exactly what they have in mind for him for next year. I'm not sure what his confidence level is in, in trying to actually come back and play again. My personal expectation of Alex actually suiting up again remains very close to zero. I'm saying even if this guy works out and rehabs like a fiend, gets back to being in great shape, how could you ever send him back out onto a football field having no idea how that new completely reconstructed leg is going to tolerate being leaned on by a 350-pound fat guy? I just don't see how you could take the risk. For him, the medical risk, and for the team, the PR risk, playing him again, especially of depending on him again, like as a starter or a a, key backup, and then having him shatter that leg all over again. That would just be terrible times a thousand. So I'm really not buying the comeback as a player type thing. But yeah, it sure seems like Alex is going to be around, and it sure smells like Alex is going to be helping Dan make some decisions. We eventually have a title and be getting paid to do that? I don't know. But it feels like we might be approaching a time where Alex's opinion about coaches and players might be carrying just as much weight as anyone else's.